my light bulb moment this week is 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 going to be very quick and it's going to be very indulgent and um everybody loves the dog i don't think i've ever featured gracie our dog on light bulb moments there is gracie anxiously looking to me to go play with her so what's the light bulb moment about my dog and playing with her well you know september also is a wonderful time to get outside and play here in the midwest going to be peak season so just remind you when you have your head down and you're super productive to get out and play a little bit. And if it means playing with your dog, go for it. All right. So that's going to be a very light light bulb moment for me this week, because what I want to do is I want to get to John. I want to get to John Busacker. John is a writer, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. He's founder of Life Worth, uh, which is personal leadership development and life planning. He's delivered keynotes. Uh, he's orchestrated conferences. He worked with leaders on six continents, dealing with issues such as personal engagement, authentic leadership, and holistic generosity. His groundbreaking leadership studios curate inspiring environments, subject matter expertise, and experiential service learning into a transformational development journey for leaders desiring to steward their life and leadership with wisdom and intent. Wow, that's a heck of a background. John, you're legit. <laughs> Morning, Tom. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, John. Thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, putting up the picture of Gracie. That was uh, that was a light bulb moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see her. So, John, as I really framed this conversation, which I'm super excited about because you've really got some uh, you've got some good stuff here, and uh, we'll go mm -hmm. get to the topic that really just jumped out at me in a moment here. But I think the listeners and uh, viewers should know that you and I also have a personal friendship that goes back, oh gosh, 20 years, right? Maybe At least, yeah. So I think we met when I was working with your partner at the time, Richard Leiter, who was a world-renowned business coach. At that point in time, was the single biggest investment I ever made in anything for me. And mm -hmm. I engaged your partner to be my coach for many years. Then I met you through a sequence of other events. And we become great personal friends, um, you, me, Carol, and Mary. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been one of the joys of my lifetime. So it's great to be on with you in the context of both business and friendship. What a gift. And I believe that I have purchased, I've been the first purchaser of at least two of your books. Is that right? That's correct. I bought you I have the, I have the I have the handwritten purchase order from the first of my books that's in my file of best moments in my life. And also, I, I, I do believe you profiled me at least once in one of your books um, uh, yep. about the train hopping story, uh, Dusty story. Yes, you're famous. We'll save that for another day. I am not famous. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is all about you today. John, before we get into the main subject that I want to address with you, which is really a, a new body of work that you, you've created here. Let's go back to just for a nanosecond. Uh, you and I had a brief conversation about the month of September. And what you said is that that has been the busiest time of year in your 29 years. So talk mm -hmm. a little bit about, you know, so we're going to go to last week's topic just real quick about September mm -hmm. and some of your insights on that. Yeah, I actually share your belief, Tom, that this is a second new year this time of year. So I've got two times of the year where I kind of really look carefully at my schedule and look at my commitments. And one of those is in the week in between Christmas and New Year's. 
um, where I have a, a very specific discipline of how I look back over the year and then make plans and uh, look at my 12-month calendar in that week in between because uh, I'm never I'm never busy that week. I'm not working that week. And so it's a week, a great week to reflect on the plan. But then also uh, for me, Labor Day actually marks the start of the uh, run to the finish every year. And so the months of September, October, and November have historically always been the busiest 90 days in my calendar as a leadership development coach and consultant. And, and part of it is, I think, organizationally, organizations are just uh, running to the finish themselves. Um, there's a budget aspect to that. Companies are draining money out of their budget, kind of the lose, use it or lose it, just like the federal government. Um, and so there's that aspect to it as well. And so it's always, always been a great business period of time for me, busy and really profitable. Awesome. You, you have written and spoken and really have a, a wide range of expertise and topics that you've covered through the year. Of course, we want to get to the one that's most current. And I'm super excited because I've known you a long time. I've seen you focused on, but you're really excited about a new body of work that you're leaving. And I think before we, before we even get to that, if you don't mind, I'd like to really have you, we like to have people become a little vulnerable and, and what have you. Just the state that you were in, you used the word that you were kind of rusting out a little bit a few mm-hmm. years. So let's kind of put you, let's put yourself in the state you were in before you went into this new body of work. Yeah, so um, prior to COVID, so um, in the period of time, kind of just before COVID, I was slowly letting my business kind of wind down. So kind of on the glide path, I've been doing what I'd been doing for a long period of time in personal leadership development. I was telling clients that I was picking my spots more diligently, but what I was really doing was not actively prospecting or building a business anymore. And so um, I wasn't burned out, um, but the word I used with you, Tom, when we were talking earlier this week was I was I was a little bit rusted out. I was just under, not overdoing, but kind of under being. And so, and then COVID hit. And so that that changed everything for a lot of people worldwide. It certainly changed my business from one that was heavily dependent on in-person sort of events and gatherings, keynote speaking, to doing everything via Zoom and less of it. And for me personally, you know, I I love being on this with you, Tom, uh, but working with groups of people via Zoom is not my preferred medium. It just isn't. I like being with people, seeing the interaction that happens person to person, heart to heart in the room. And so coming out of that, I was uh, with a business that was had really diminished, partly by my own doing and partly by COVID. And then earlier this year, beginning of this year, I started having a conversation with uh, two uh, younger guys, and we started talking about the whole issue of culture and what the three of us were seeing in culture, company culture, organizational culture, not the, you know, the United States is going to a hell in a handbasket sort of culture, but organizational culture and seeing that organizations are really struggling with that, um, really struggling with lots of different issues with that. And we started a conversation, which led to us forming a framework, which led to us building an initial set of tools to really lead in this issue of how do we help people flourish in a company culture? 
And that's actually, that's been my heartbeat for a long time in personal leadership development. I'm, I'm super engaged again, which has been really a blessing. Like I'm, I'm all in again and my mind is really zipping again and we're creating new things again and talking to people about a new body of work, which has been really a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I can be pretty critical about bodies of work, but I'm super impressed with what you've already created. Mm. And the impetus for us getting into this topic, you and I had, we're just having a friendship conversation. We we're talking about work a little bit. And mm. somehow the word moments came up. And that was literally a light bulb moment for me. I said, whoa, whoa you got mo- moments as one of your framework. Tell me more. So anyway. That really was sort of a light bulb moment that thought, okay, we can't wait any longer. We got to get John in front of our community. So mm-hmm. let's step back here and allow you to really describe this framework. Of course, you'll cover moments, but that's just one segment. So, yeah. So let me, Tom, let me describe first when we talk about culture, because culture be, can be kind of a, a really um, squishy thing. Like it's a, you know, it's a nice to do, but not a have to do. It's something that HR ought to do. It's, you know, and so when we talk about culture, when we think about culture, here's a couple of definitions. Okay, so one is that culture is the best version; it's the best version of who we really are when we work together. Um, another one: culture should positively impact the human condition of all who come in contact with us. So it's not just a inward uh, in in an organization, in a business, in a practice sort of thing, but it's an outward thing. So everyone that comes in contact with us. It ought to be beneficial inside and outside. Um, and then here's the last one. And this is, I, we really believe this. It's not a soft and squishy thing. It's actually the optimal performance driver. Culture is the optimal performance. It impacts everything. It impacts attraction, impacts retention. It impacts revenue, ultimately impacts sales. It impacts customer satisfaction. If you've got an unhealthy culture, you've got an unhealthy business. Mm. If you've got an unhealthy leader, You've got an unhealthy culture because culture is the leader's choice. And so kind of that's the that's the context. That's the framework that we're we're trying to build into here. And so um, we think about a flourishing culture as having four parts. And the first part is people. It's all about people. And so really understanding um, who your people are, what their motivations are, what their giftedness is, what their core values are, um, kind of what's their story. What's their story? It's actually the question I love to ask when I'm sitting next to a person when we're descending on an airplane and I've been ignoring the person the entire flight because I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. And then you're kind of, you have to have the conversation. And so rather than, you know, are you going to Denver for business or pleasure? I usually turn to them and after a little bit of chit chat, I go, so Tom, you know, what's your story? And then just listen. And that's actually the first piece of this framework is just understanding, really understanding at a heart level, not just at a head level, but a heart level, what your people's story is. The second, and this is what you just mentioned a minute ago, is moments. So everybody has heard now the overused phrase, uh, begin with the end in mind. Tom, you may have heard that once or twice, you know, begin with the end in mind. It's a, it's a brilliant phrase coined by originally by Covey. But the problem with it is if you don't clearly know what the end is, you don't have a vision for what the end is, you may not begin. Like you may never start. And so the idea here is to go back and to look at, and we've got a, a, an organized, disciplined way of doing this, to look at what some best moments were, like little ones, big ones, planned ones, spontaneous ones. 
what have been some of the best moments personally, individually, and then as an as an organization? So as you think about impact, for example, some of the best moments that you've had when you're delivering the best possible you as an organization, as a team to your clients, um, you could probably immediately think of some of those moments, like some of the things that happened last year at the Phil conference. Best mm-hmm. moments, right? And so harvesting the best of that, and then not just allowing those to kind of be forgotten or linger in the past, but drawing those into the present and into the future. That's the second. Then the other two parts, and I'll go a little bit deeper in that if you want me to in just a minute. But then the other two parts of the four parts we think are really important for a flourishing culture. Um, The third one is momentum. So not just, you know, recollecting these moments, but then what systems do you have to bake into your process as a business in order to recreate those. So on weekly one-on-ones with employees, monthly planning sessions, quarterly business reviews, annual planning sessions, how do you create momentum with those so that they happen with greater frequency? And then the last one is success. What are we measuring? How do, how does this show up? What's the success measurements for our culture? And it's it's not my success measurements or our success, it's the organization, the business's success measurements. How do we how do we measure success here? What's the ROI on that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very understandable framework, and it makes a ton of sense. Of course, I want to unpack moments. And right, you know, you mentioned something that that stimulated a mini light bulb moment with me. A couple references to moments that kind of tie into how you position it. One of my favorite quotes. I kind of leave it leave it out sitting on my desk so I don't mm-hmm. forget. Is a moment of happiness is a great place to find yourself. Brilliant. And the other the other thing has to do a little bit more with data. And I don't remember the source of this, but what happens with with happiness, we have these moments and we don't elongate them. We'll have this moment of joy and it lasts like two seconds. So there was this practice where you actually extend that moment, like give yourself 10 Mm. seconds, you know? which is like a 10x expansion of what most people have for like moments of joy. I digress, but obviously mm. I'm really into the whole moments piece to this. Mm. So I'd love to have you comment on any of that and then unpack that that module, if you will. We think moments is actually the secret sauce of this whole framework. So understanding your people is, is vitally important. It's the starting place. But we what we believe and what we've experienced so far is we've been doing some speaking on this and some workshops on this and just kind of testing this all out with, with businesses and with leaders is where the juice is, is in moments. It, it really is. And so I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, again, we're forgetful. And so as people and as teams recollect these moments, it's inspiring. It, it gives a lot of juice to them. and. And then also we're in a, if we allow ourselves to, we're in a time right now that can be kind of depressing. I mean, seriously, I mean, it, it, the economy is not great. Uh, news globally is, can be overwhelming. Um, there's just a lot going on around us. And so um, this is a way of actually creating inspiration, fulfillment, and joy, which we think is really important. And so so when we ask individuals and then teams to recollect their best moments, so just so uh, fire the bouncer here. Like, don't don't put any restraints in this. Just start writing down best moments. Take five minutes. If people come up with lists of five to twenty-five in a matter of just minutes. They just start remembering things. 
And then we have them categorized. And this is where the conversation that you and I were having, where the light bulb moments came up. So the four categories are these. So the first one is moments of elevation. Elevation. So um, just peak experiences. Uh, I had a moment of elevation a number of years ago, emceeing a big conference for a client. And the closing keynote speaker was Gary Sinise, Lieutenant Diane from Forrest Gump. And he was terrific, like a great speaker, really wonderful human who I met in the, in the green room before we went out on stage. He gave a speech for about 45, 35 minutes. And then I interviewed him and he was a great interview. And when he was interviewing with me, he was talking about thing that he's really passionate about, which is working with wounded warriors. And then unknown to him, we had invited one of the warriors that had been a recipient of one of his houses mm. to come up on stage behind him with his wife. And then when he turned around, there he was, and it just brought down the house. Yeah, it was a moment of deeply emotional, this gratitude, this outpouring. And so elevation, highlight moment. So professionally and personally. So first one is moments of elevation. Second one is moments of purpose, where you're just living out of a sense of purpose or a sense of calling. And we all of us have a, a, a purpose that we're meant to do, we're meant to fulfill. And so moments of purpose. And so the third one is, and this very germane to this, to this podcast here, are light bulb moments, moments of insight, where we see something differently. We see ourselves differently. Um, it's where the light bulb just kind of goes on. I've got a very old school practice when I'm sitting in conferences or listening to podcasts or listening to a keynote speaker. Um, I tend to take notes the old school way with actually a pen and a journal. And I actually draw a light bulb in the margin whenever something the light bulb goes on. It's like, dink, wow, I never thought of it that way before. So a couple of weeks ago, I was attending a culture conference and the speaker said, I wrote this down in my journal. If the leader won't deal with the problem, the problem is no longer the problem. The leader is the problem. Ooh. Brilliant. <laughs> Did that one resonate with anybody else other than me? Oh, my. And so it's like, think the light bulb went on. I wrote that down word for word and said, that is really, really true. And that's been my life and work experience right there. The problem's not the problem anymore. The leader is the problem. And so, Third is moments of insight. So elevation, purpose, insight. And the last one is moments of connection, deep connection. So relational moments where you're deepening a friendship with someone that you know well, or you're making a new friend with someone you just met, or you're meeting with someone and you just have this instant, you know, brothers from a different mother sort of experience. I had that experience 12 years ago with a guy who at the time was the pastor of the church that Carol and I were attending. He became a dear friend. And during COVID, I co-authored a book with him. But it all started with a moment of connection the very first time that we met. It was, it was remarkable. And so, but I it doesn't happen all the time, but it happened with Dave. So elevation, purpose, insight, connections. So we have people go back and say, so these moments that you just wrote down, what kind of moments were they? And these are not discrete categories. It might be, you know, they might be overlap between them. Every now and then, I hope this doesn't come across as cheesy, it's not meant to be, but every now and then we have moments where all of those come together. And so think of the first letters of those four categories, EPIC, they're moments that are epic. 
And so overused words like, dude, that run was epic, you know. So not talking about that kind of epic. I'm talking about truly epic best moments. So the 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 finish to the Gary Sinise story is that there was somebody in the audience at 3,500 that day of that conference that I was emceeing that when that wounded warrior came out on stage and they told his story or he was wounded and was dying, he was bleeding out. They airlifted him, emergency airlifted him to an Air Force base. When he showed up on base, they put out an emergency call at the base for blood because he had an unusual blood type. Turned out that morning that in the audience that was listening to the story and watching this, there was a person in the audience who also was a veteran who had donated blood that had saved this man's life. Wow. Yeah. Epic, epic moment. All of those categories came into play at that moment. You just have created an amazing framework. And I love the acronym too. I mean, even I can remember that. um, (laughs) That's the point, right? By the way, Gary Sinise, uh, he's from my hometown. Um, and really, uh, Gary Sinise is from Highland Park, Illinois, and um, the whole second city in Steppenwolf actually started in the basement of my grade school. Um, wow! Yeah, but Gary, uh, I, I knew Gary's sister. Um, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't I, go. I, I can't go anywhere, Tom. Where you don't? There's not a connection somewhere like <laughs> three degrees of Tom Kuhn here. So. <laughs> I love this. I love this framework. Now, you, and I feel like I just want to have a whole conversation about epic moments. We need to have that conversation. We need to go deeper into this topic with you. But before we, before we do that, you've got some data here. And let's take a yeah. little bit of a shift here. And unless there's anything else you want to say about the framework and within the framework, the moments part of it, or it's going over to data, a good thing. Yeah, let's go to data for a minute. We talked a little bit about this. Yeah. So we we have quoted past year's study by Gallup. We've used it in our content, and it's really driven some of the work that we had, particularly in terms of engagement and heart-centered culture and all that. But you've got some much more updated data. And so let's let's go through some of that, if you could share some of the things you shared with me. Yeah, so uh, Gallup just released about two months ago their 2023 Global Employee Survey, um, where they kind of survey the... the uh, the state of the workforce. And some of the statistics from that, as well as a couple other places we've been combing are just actually alarming. And they point to why culture now, focusing on a flourishing culture is so important. So here's a, here's a couple of stats. They found most recently that the majority, 59% of the world's employees are quiet quitting. So they're, they're disengaged, they're quiet quitting. So um, they're doing their best work in their garage at night or other places. They're kind of bringing their non-discretionary energy to work. So 59%. An additional 18% are loud quitting. These are the actively disengaged people that are actively trying to sabotage the organization or the organization's strategy. Or So they're the ones that attend a meeting and then leave the meeting, whether it's on Zoom or in person, and immediately the meeting after the meeting is this crap will never work. That's the actively loud disengaged, okay? Loud quitters. 39% of employees are feeling more burned out than they were one year ago. 44% of employees feel a significant amount of stress on a daily basis. People are not flourishing. Um, This one's from Forbes. 76% of employees stand ready to jump ship if their company ends flexible work arrangements. So they said, if I'm forced to come back to the office 
full time to sit in the cubicle, I'm out. I'm just I'm just out. Again, from Gallup, 51% of employees reported they're watching for or actively seeking a new job. <laughs> That's alarming. Um, this is the one that really stood out to me. This one's from Harvard Business Review. If 58% of employees trust strangers more than they trust their own manager or boss. 58%. <laughs> I trust the person I'm just talking to here I've never met before more than I trust my own manager or boss. And then one more, um, when asked what they would change about their workplace to make it better, nearly half, 41% responded company culture. Like if I could change one thing, I'd change the culture. So it, it really matters. And it's really a difficult time for a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations trying to, trying to figure this out. So what, what we say, Tom, is that every company has a culture. You have a culture. Impacts has a culture, either by design or by default. Mm. And so why not design the best culture to overcome some of those statistics and attract the best, retain the best, deliver the best to your customers? Why not design it? And that's where that, that framework, there's four, those four things really come into play. Yeah. You got definitely some uh, big light bulb moments that we just heard today. Mm. Um, by design or default, I think that's what you said. Uh, mm-hmm. I love how you talked about where the juice is. You know, uh, some great light bulb moments today, John. I'm, we're going to have a hard time capturing and selecting which light bulb moment we want to highlight from today's session with you. You work with large organizations and you work with small organizations. And, mm-hmm. you know, we primarily serve the small business community. And, you know, for those of us that are in a small business community, we don't really have a visibility and have into larger organizations and the reality of a large organization, which is a large organization, as you have reminded me, is a series of subgroups. So even right. with, as you work with big companies, like really big companies, Some. yeah, mm-hmm. and small companies too, but. Mm-hmm. I love that you're reaching larger organizations. And so spell that out. I mean, so maybe you got a $5 billion company and you work with them. You know, what, what would something like that look like? We don't have the illusion. I don't have the illusion that um, we're going to change the whole organization most likely, you know, because it's, it's a big, big ecosystem. As you said, Tom, a, a big organization is a whole bunch of little organizations, actually subgroups, sub teams. And so focus of my work and the focus of this new work, I, I believe is going to be in big companies, is going to be on subgroups, on little parts within the company. Because to change the culture of a, of a, a I spoke at a conference last week, one of the, one of two of the people in the room represented a company that has 18 billion of revenue. They're working in 60 countries. We're not going to change that company. I mean, seriously, we're not, I mean, but. The person, the two people that were in the room that are are heading up the sales globally, if we change them and if we change some of the culture of their team, that would be impactful. It may not impact the whole organization, the whole ecosystem, but it would certainly impact them and it would impact their team. I actually love smaller companies. Mm. (laughs) I actually love uh, because you have a much greater uh, possibility to, to make a dent. Um, I actually have more juice for small and mid-range companies than I do for big companies. 
Typically, there's less politics. You can deal directly with the influencers and the decision makers. Things change a lot faster. It's just a lot more fun. I'm not a guy that does politics very well, which is why I'm an entrepreneur, small business owner myself. And so dealing with smaller businesses that are actually the heartbeat of our country is smaller businesses. And so I think it's awesome, the group that you work with, your clients. Yeah, right on. I'm super impressed with this. And, you know, this, why you said you make this, you know, this is in progress, but this isn't like just sitting on a shelf. You're out doing this right now. I mean, you're, it's not like right. this body work is, hey, let's wait. And then I'm going to unveil it. You're doing this right now. You're just sort of perfecting mm-hmm. the model, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and looking to really extend your reach. And I'm very happy for you because I think your reach uh, can and should be wider because I know the difference that you've made in so many different companies what your books have done. And I'm very happy and proud of you, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I've been uh, really engaged by and inspired by the work that you've been doing and for many years that uh, your culture has been amazing. You're like exhibit A um, with your culture of doing exactly what we're trying to create. So what you do in the two to 10 conference, Tom, and what your team does in the Phil conference and um, that's actually creating exactly what we're trying to create. So look for us to be swinging back around to use you as a exhibit A as we're trying to build our business, what you do with community. You are too kind, and we would be happy to. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah. Thank you for all the yeah. light bulb moments today. You are now a member of our brain trust. So thank <laughs> you for part of the brain trust. Watch for your million dollar light bulb and um, great session today. I've got a lot of notes here. So, you know, I love hosting this because I get to learn too, and I get to even Mm. learn most because I get to prep a brilliant guy like you. So thank you, John. Brilliant. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Next week, we're on again for another episode of Lightbulb Moments. Uh, And thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your comments and the chat. And once again, um, a big shout out to John Busacker for his contribution today. We wish all of you a great week. See you next week. Uh, Thanks to the community team for helping, uh, for everything to do behind the scenes, for all of you for uh, taking time to join us today. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.